Welcome to Game Over Montreal. Is this the best game we've seen from the Montreal Canadiens since their series against Vegas in 2021? Back when this team was, you know, playing, putting everything on the line. You know, how many players have never come back since then? Uh, that was a full-on game of effort and execution from the Montreal Canadiens. And they needed to be that good because Boston was all in tonight, too from what I saw tonight. Let's welcome in our guest, Mitch Brown from Elite Prospects and EP Ringside. Mitch, how did you find watching that one? I only come on after exciting games, it seems. That right? was a really fun one. There were some nice steps for nice step step ups from some key players on Montreal. I know it was a bit of a quiet game from Suzuki at five on five, but uh Kovacevic Guli were great. Slavkovsky looked great. Caulfield was fun. All in all, it was just a really, really, really fun, enjoyable game with a lot of back and forth and some exciting plays. Yeah, I mean, I think at least in the first half of the game, I don't know if there was a single player on the Canadians, at least maybe Boston, like obviously you're not watching as closely when you're specifically meant to cover the Canadians and like taking notes of who's who. But I wouldn't say there was a single player on the Canadians for the first half of the game that was playing poorly, right? Like the execution level was really high. Uh, the the expectations clearly from each other were super high. We saw Sean Monahan have a little temper tantrum after causing a little offside at one point, him and Tanner Pearson. Uh, both were really mad at themselves, not each other. And I think they had this game circled on the calendar because this is not a level of play that we've seen from the Canadians, maybe against Vegas, but for the most part, even in the games that they played well this season, or even last season, or the season before that, I don't think we've seen this level of uh, high-end execution from the entire team until Matheson started to bobble the puck a little bit uh, offensively in the second half of the game. And then, you know, both teams got a little sloppy in the third. But overall, I was really impressed. Whole cloth. Yeah, and Monsambo. Yeah, That was a really nice game from him. He was on top of it, seeing everything. Montreal's defense did a really good job in front of the net, especially the kovacevic Guli pairing. They did a great job keeping things to the outside, pushing guys wide, letting Montembeau see the puck. And, I mean, he, he put on a show there for a little bit. It was really fun to watch him, watch his interaction with the defense, and then in particular watch Montreal's transition game. The way they broke the puck into the zone, their emphasis on bringing pucks to the middle, creating speed to the inside, and then driving wide and getting it back to the middle again. So you see a lot of these, you see a lot of what Martin St. Louis has really tried to instill over the last couple of years coming to fruition now. You know, getting open off pucks, supporting plays, being in scoring position, and most importantly, using your teammates effectively. Yeah, and that's that's the big thing, right, is players being seen when they're taking the correct routes. Uh, there was so many good plays in this that we, we just haven't seen. I think you look at the St. Louis game just a couple of games ago, right? And this game, and it, it's hard to believe it's the same team. The level of execution is just so much different. But I think this is going to be one of those games where when the Canadians are in the playoff picture, a couple of years from now, most likely, not necessarily when they're ready to compete for a Stanley Cup, but when they're, you know, that team that's knocking on the door, when they're in a slump, I would, if I was Marty St. Louis, I'd be like, we're going to watch this game. We're going to say, listen, you're all capable of playing this way not for 82 games no team is but this was a, a really really strong performance against a team that they probably shouldn't beat you know more than 70 times out of 100 or more than 30 yeah. times 30 times out of 100 is what i meant boston should win 70 times yeah. out of 100 between these two teams right as they're currently constructed yeah absolutely and shout out to the old guys running gallagher sean monahan Tanner Pearson, they all looked really good. Something that I've liked about Gallagher this year is he's a lot more patient with the puck. Right. You know, in transition a couple of years ago, man, just bombing pucks out, not a care in the world, not getting not getting offense up the rink as a consequence. His numbers have improved this year. We're seeing him get more chances in front. And a big part of that is because now when he gets the puck in the defensive zone or in the neutral zone, you see him pick his head up use his teammates that are in the middle. You see him use that short support, particularly Monaghan coming up the middle and so on. And so it's really nice to see how they have established all of these links over the past couple of years. And they're finally starting to pay off now. 
Yeah, I mean, Gallagher, he's no longer doing that, like, turn around, shovel the puck towards the net thing, right? And where you can tell he he really needs a goal. So he's like, I'm just going to flip this on my backhand. Whoever can get it can get it. Uh, yeah, you're right. He is making more plays. He was really impressive tonight. That uh, The second goal for, for Gallagher, that was really, really strong play. Uh, he almost got one earlier in the game, too. He was just a little bit behind Monaghan on the cues to, like, haul up on the, that two-on-one that they had. Really impressive game. And we were talking before we started the show that it's convenient that we have Mitch on on a game where Caden Gooley scores the game-winning goal in overtime because, as everyone knows who watches this show, Mitch Brown is the original Caden Gooley booster. Back even before the draft, he was in Gooley's corner. Who told me that uh, Caden Gooley had more offense to bring than what he was showing on uh, in juniors? And then lo and behold, as soon as he gets traded, he shows all that offense. And last year, great offense, even as a rookie. This year, he's always jumping in place. It was Mitch Brown, ladies and gentlemen. He knows Caden Gooley. It is just so cool to watch him become a better player in many faucets in the NHL than he was in the WHL. The, the framework was always there with Prince Albert, but it's really in Edmonton where you start seeing it come to life where he's completing more of his plays and then now in the NHL. This is a guy who can not necessarily control the game offensively, but he's a big, big piece of the puzzle of what they do. He's always in the right position, whether he's activating down low or moving laterally across the point to be an easy to hit accessible option. I love what he does in the breakout. There were a couple dump outs where I'm sure he probably could have got a little bit more value, but you see this sort of clever short range passing game where he's hitting guys, relocating, getting open, supporting, and then the defense, he had that nice stop on Pasternakli in the third period off the rush. He made a couple of other big plays, big block shots, tough as nails out there, of course, as he always is. But, you know, he comes to play and he makes plays. You know, yeah. there's only so much value in having a defenseman who just, you know, is engaged and tries hard. You need to be able to make plays. And I think at this stage, Gulli has solidified himself as the best defenseman on this team. I completely 100% agree. And I know Mike Matheson's going to still play the most minutes. Part of that being he's a freak of nature who can play 28 minutes and not get tired. Although it kind of looked like maybe the sloppiness came from him being a little tired tonight. But again, second straight game. I know people were getting on him a little bit on Twitter because he had uh, two sequences where he made like multiple mistakes and they caused pretty hectic situations. But I think on both of those plays, he was actually the one who broke them up defensively. So I'll give him a pass on those because the rest of his game I thought was really strong tonight, uh, especially offensively in the first period. And I think defensively, like without the puck, uh, he was really strong all game as well. He wasn't struggling like he has been in recent weeks with uh, missing his man or getting caught in no man's land, kind of like looking and underestimating an assignment like Nikita Kucherov against Tampa Bay. So good game from Mike Matheson as well. But Mitch, how about that shift from Michael Pozzetta? Like, okay. that man is a badass. So I assume we're talking about the one where he runs the guy down the corner and then gets yes. a chance. So Pozzetta, for those who don't know, was a top pick into the Ontario Hockey League. He has some skill. He's always been known more as a hard worker, as a hardworking guy. And you, you see the skill in moments, though, in the NHL. Where, like, it doesn't necessarily appear in, like, terms of, like, handling ability, but more, like, he knows how to get open. He can shoot it off the pass. He makes, like, a sneaky pass here or there. Um, but his wrecking ball qualities are really interesting because he's not really someone who kills you when he steps on the ice for the most part. There are right. games. There are, there, are, there are times in the season where he does. But for the most part, especially this season, it seems like when he's on the ice, he's either neutral or slightly positive. And I think that shift that he had where you kind of just see him crash and bang, and then instantly his brain is like, oh, yeah, it's time to play offense. That's the type of stuff that you want to see from these guys going forward. I know there's a lot of talk in the Toronto market right now about the fourth line, and their fourth line finally takes Reeves off, and then they could have a big night tonight. And Pizzetta, if he can start on unlocking a little bit more of that attacking mentality, then Montreal's fourth line is going to be really impactful, especially because when you have him and Jake Evans together, Evans is more of an ideas player than a skill player. He has the positive ideas, but not necessarily the ability to complete all of these plays. But maybe if you give him another skill option, that changes. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. And, you know, that another skill option on that line, Raphael Harvey-Pinard uh, made a lot of really smart plays with the puck tonight, really enabled 
uh, Evans and and uh, Pizzetta to play with that jam, right? What what stuck out for me even like early in his career with Pizzetta that he had a little bit more skill than your average grinder was that guy's got like a, a pretty decent one-timer. Like even for yeah. the NHL, it's an above average one-timer. So it's not surprising really that he scores a few goals here and there, but uh, I've been really, I was really impressed by specifically that shift because it seemed to like change the game immediately. It was like they, the Canadians were already pushing back well, but that just like it established a tone for the game that immediately Jack guy picked up as well. Kovacevic picked up with the big hit on Marshawn on the blue line. Like the Canadians were kind of playing in, in some ways Bruins hockey. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's part of the way that this team has been constructed, I suppose. But when you look at Kovacevic, this wasn't a big part of his game before he comes to Montreal. Part of the reason why he's had difficulty cracking into the NHL is because he's not necessarily, he's big, but he's not necessarily physical. And Montreal found value in him because he does the small things really well. He plays the system really well. He's one of their best players in terms of knowing where to be on the ice at any given time, whether that's traditionally just standing at the point or activating down the weak side or whatever. Uh, But I really like what he does off the rush defensively. And you see him starting to angle guys and then crush them, you know, taking that extra little, you know, it hurts to hit people, not going to lie. Yep. But when you do hit someone and you get that puck, you create more space up the rink for your teammates. And so that's one kind of minor thing that you've seen him grow into over the past couple of seasons. And it's really improved his game. Like, it's really tough to watch this Montreal Canadiens team and not think that he's a legit top four guy for them pretty much every single night. Yeah, there's a couple comments uh, asking us about Uri Slavkovsky. Be patient. Next segment is all about Yuri Slavkovsky. We will get to it, I promise. But uh, I'm going to get to a couple other things tonight as well. You know, it's, I think it's all positive for the Montreal Canadiens after this game. I think it would be, you know, kind of it would kind of suck to pick up negatives. But what did make me laugh, and I'm not trying to be negative, I'm not trying to trash him because I thought he had a great game, but Christian Dvorak, I think it was in the third period there, he, like, called for the puck, like, called for the pass, and then immediately bobbled it, <laughs> fell on his butt, and I was like, that would be me. Like if I if I was trying to play hockey at a high high level, that would be me. It was major junior hockey vibes for sure. You see these guys just clapping on the ice, and then the the puck comes to them, and they just don't know what to do with it. It's like, then why were you calling for it? <laughs> yeah, it's that is a hundred percent. Yeah, uh, Romelli says uh, Dvorak was dead weight on that line. You know, I think he was pretty good tonight. Like I thought him and Caulfield had some good plays going. Uh, the three of them, honestly, had some pretty good four checks. I know they didn't score, but there were several chances where all three of those guys were involved. So, like, I, I think on balance, Dvorak the last two years has, has not been a good player. Uh, to start this year, he's pretty pretty rusty and struggled. But right now, tonight, I thought Dvorak was the best game that I've seen from him in a long time. Is that is that Dvorak adjusted standards or normal standards? I, I guess so. I'd probably. <laughs> I think you guys are being a little bit harsh on Dvorak right now. I mean, listen, the only reason why he's getting the, that, those minutes on that line is because Doc's out. We all know that, right? It, he's a, a temporary fit. But uh, if he can keep playing like he did tonight, I feel like he has a little bit of trade value at some point. And over the last two years, I thought he's had like none. So that's an improvement to me. Yeah, he's he's out there to do the details, and I think tonight he had the details down. Yeah, 100%. I, I noticed, uh, you know, things went pretty well for the Canadians for the most part until the third period with the penalty calls. But it's one thing to outplay the Bruins, which is pretty rare for the Montreal Canadiens over the last several years. It's another thing to, to win the game, but also to get Brad Marchand actually take a penalty for his mouthing off. When does this ever happen? It's like some sort of weird voodoo curse on the Bruins tonight because that that was incredible. I, you know what my theory is? He's not used to these games going this way. The Bruins were out physical in this game, and I think he just got really frustrated with it. Yeah, I don't blame him. You know, you've had an entire career where you're insulated, and then yep. the, 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 the one team that you've been able to walk over I guess I guess they've been able to walk over Toronto for the most part as well, but the one team you've been able to walk over has some pushback, and you know he actually had a pretty good game at times, but he did 
uh, you know, when it when it does not go well for Marshan, it really it really kind of breaks down. And he managed to get his head back in the game. I think he scored he scored off his skate, right? He did with that yeah. nice little redirection off his feet in front. So he managed to get back into it and whatever. But yeah, he's a he's going to be very interesting to watch in the latter stages of his career because you wonder like how much more punishment can a body take? You've, we've already seen his production fall off a cliff. He's still a very good player. Don't get me wrong, but. You know, he's just going to be one of those interesting guys to see how aging affects him. And yeah, he's he's been such a, a thorn in the side of the entire NHL forever. Uh, <laughs> and he's still a super impactful player. Like even when he's doing dumb yeah. stuff and having breakdowns out there, he can still turn a game up upside down. And that's almost what makes him so effective, right? Is like even when he does lose it and end up on the wrong side of the penalties, which is rare enough, he's usually, you know, as much as he's a little bit of a dirty player, he's in control of himself most of the time. He's usually the one making other people go out of control. So to see it turned on him, it, it is satisfying and rare, but he still manages to find a way to contribute in those games. He is a friggin' phenomenal player, as annoying as that is. And such a weird aging curve for Brad Marchand. He basically became a superstar in his 30s when he was like really decent in his 20s very very weird career it's almost like he's one of those guys who at some point realized that if he just puts some of the shenanigans on the back burner that he can be a way better hockey player yeah like uh like michael bunting yeah michael bunting stopped talking quite as much and then became a little bit better there you go all right uh we are going to talk about uri slavkovsky coming up in a second here but first i got to do our advertisers justice we got to talk about sign up expert so the nhl season is heating up and there's never been a better time to get in on the action whether you're looking to hammer an austin matthews anytime goal which is always a pretty good idea or ride the puck line with the montreal canadians looking decent tonight but not usually our partners at sign up expert want to make sure you're ready for to sweat your bets with one of the best sign up expert is hooking up our listeners with one of the newest sports books available in canada Batano. Batano is home to some of the best odds when it comes to betting on the NHL and offers unique markets including virtual soccer and basketball. All you have to do to get started is scan that QR code on your screen or click the link in the description to register and place that first bet. If you thought the Vancouver Canucks have been the biggest surprise of the season so far, wait until you try Batano. Don't walk, run to check out Batano today. Scan that QR code or hit the link in the description to get started and start sweating your bets with the best. Always remember to bet responsibly and within your means. Viewers must be 19 plus to sign up for Batano. All right, let's welcome Mitch back in. Mitch, Uri Slavkovsky. I have a, a theory with Slavkovsky. Well, not, not necessarily theory. I'll say some comparables in terms of playing style. Uh, a few games ago, or maybe it was the last game, I don't remember now, uh, I compared Slavkovsky as a rookie a little bit to Mike McCarron, where he would get into good spots, but it was like he, he was a half second behind the play at all times, and even when he would get the puck, his shot would come too late to be dangerous. I watch him now, and not so much this game specifically, but the last couple and the first couple games with... Uh, Kirby Doc, where he was playing really well, he reminds me of a young Lars Eller, where he's putting together those two good plays, but he can't quite get the finish on like the last play that makes you a top guy. I wonder how, where, where do you think that fits? Does that sound kind of all right? Because I feel like now that he's taken a step forward defensively, it's even more reminiscent to me of young Eller. Well, I was like 14 when Eller was traded <laughs> to Montreal, so I mean... Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea, but <laughs> <laughs> at least you're honest. <laughs> you got to bring your 14 year old opinions back. Just like trying yeah. to think uh, of the worst part is, I think then. when he was traded to Montreal, I had like followed hockey for like two years at that point. So I'm sure like I just had the worst hockey opinions imaginable at that stage. Like just probably just Me the too. worst. I mean, that's what being 14 is all about. But yeah, I, I think right now he reminds me of a young Eller because I, I look at him last year as well. And I remember with McCarron, one of the big issues with his game was he was a big guy, but it was almost like he was afraid to be out muscled. And I saw that a lot last year with Slavkovsky where he could get in battles, but it was like he was timid to do so 
because he didn't want to look like he was being out-muscled or just get out-muscled and get knocked down. And now this year, he's a bit more confident in his body, but he, he doesn't naturally seek out the physicality most times. But once in a while, he remembers that he's big, and this game is one of those games where he remembered that he's a big dude and he took advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely. He got things going by kind of having an accidental collision. And then he realized, oh, man, this is actually kind of fun. I just get the puck if I do this to people. <laughs> and then he did it a couple more times. You also mentioned in our pre-stream chat about when he came back after turning the puck over and just reached around the guy and grabbed the puck off him. And that's, you know, that's a function of being able to, you know, reach further than most players can. Yeah, I think. A big thing with him will be watching how he's able to use his frame to protect the puck. Right now, you kind of see that he has the ideas. You see he has the want, but not always the coordination or the ability to make plays well fending off a check. He'll collect the puck, wedge his back in between the guy. He'll push them, and then he'll stop, look up, then make the pass, and by then the lane is closed. And so we're really going to have to start seeing him blend the physicality and the skill together for him to make more high-level plays in the NHL. Yeah, and you can see like games like tonight, I think, are exciting because you can see what he could become, right? And obviously didn't uh, factor into the scoring tonight, but that's not really what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the little details, right? And I think uh, you as well. The one area that he did look really uncomfortable was on the power play when he got moved. I think it was just a natural movement that ended up doing it, but it wasn't like a decision by the coaching staff, but he's usually on that right wall on the power play. And he got moved into the middle or like the bumper spot. And he didn't look like he knew what to do there. And that second power play unit got like really slow decision-making. They kind of just passed it around in a diamond formation around the, the, the boards there for a full like 45 seconds. Uh, so I think when, that second unit has looked pretty decent when Slavkovsky's running it from that half wall. But as soon as he got moved in the middle, it seemed like nothing was happening. Yeah. And this is a sign of a player who's still learning, right? If you are put into an unfamiliar situation and everything falls apart, that's generally not a good sign. You used to like, look at Nick Suzuki or Cole Caulfield on the power play. Those guys can move around, play different positions, and it all seems very fluid and natural. Slavkovsky's right game right now is very compartmentalized. You know, he has specific areas where he's good, but not necessarily the links between them to be able to get to those positions uh, all the time. I think at five on five, he had a bunch of missed passes. And yeah. I think most of them were good ideas. Like he had his head up. He recognized the opportunity. He just chose the wrong pass for the situation. You know, he'd get yeah. the puck and just instantly throw it into the lane, not realizing that the defense has already figured out what he's going to do. Like there was, there was one time where before he even touched the puck, I was like, he's going to throw a cross slot. Yeah. And then surely enough, he did right onto the tape of the Boston Bruins defenseman. And it, it just really comes down to like figuring out how to adapt to those lanes, whether that's just pulling the puck into your feet so you can get underneath or around a stick, reaching out further, delaying just a split second longer and letting the play develop. Or in the case of a lot of other games, where he's too late to lanes because you know right. he still find that timing but historically his big issue is that he the puck doesn't leave his stick quickly enough so mm -hmm. now he's playing with a little bit more pace and it's still not working i don't know if that's a step up but certainly you're starting to see him make plays or try plays right now which is all which is like that's the primary thing remember the jack hughes not having a good rookie season thing and people were really down on him because yep. he had not only did he not score, he posted he had really bad underlying metrics. And the big difference between Jack Hughes' season and Slavkovsky's season was that Jack Hughes was actually trying to make plays. They just weren't working. Now Slavkovsky is trying to make plays. And that's a big, big step forward. Like that's above all else, that's the most encouraging sign that we've seen from Slavkovsky his entire time in this organization. Yeah, it is. It is a huge thing. And I remember because back uh, when Jack Hughes was a rookie, I still had access to all that private data. And I remember very similar to Caden Gooley last year that the overarching numbers were not good, but the inputs were really strong. So like Jack Hughes had really strong, like uh, he was very involved in the defense, right? Even like adjusted for how much New Jersey was terrible at that time and how much more defense he had to play. Like he had more defensive breakups than his teammates and uh, 
more pass interceptions, all, all that kind of good stuff, similar to Gooley last year, right? Where, yes, he's getting outshot severely, but there, at the very least, there would be like a higher percentage of the shots against him are blocked, especially on his side of the ice. The shot quality lower on his side of the ice, even though overall not great. So I think when you see those inputs uh, put out in, in data form, or if you're watching and scouting or have a good eye for figuring out what translates to those end results at the end of the day when the player is fully ready to be an NHLer, uh, you can figure out who's going to have that big next season. And I think Caden Gooley was obvious last year. And Jack Hughes, I don't know if it was obvious uh, in his rookie season that he was going to be a great player, but I thought he was going to be significantly better than he than he was that year, right? Like, it was, like, very clear that he was going to take a big jump at some point. It took, I think, two years for Hughes? Yeah. So, good on him. Good on uh, Gooley. And hopefully Slavkovsky can find some level of uh, hitting that stride next year. That'd be a big moment for the Montreal Canadiens, although maybe they don't want him to do that next year because then it's next contract time. Yeah. They're going to start sitting him, preventing him from playing games. They're going to tell him, go back to dump the puck out every time you get it. No more making yeah. plays. We're getting scared. You're getting too close to a breakout. But Down in to in the fourth series, line. <laughs> yeah. On the topic of his line mates, so we've seen him move from Newhook and Josh Anderson, which are two essentially human torpedoes. They skate real fast. <laughs> the net is their target. And anything that stands between them is just a, a, a pylon, basically. And sometimes the pylons attack them because, you know, they're very predictable. Not <laughs> not perfectly good for what Slavkovsky is trying to do. Um, mm. I have my doubts about taking Suzuki and or separating Suzuki and Caulfield, but this allows them a little bit more flexibility with how they want to use Slavkovsky, right? Because if you put them with Nick and Cole, the problem is that now you have one winger who could wreck the very important two-man game that the top line right. has. And so now that you separate them, you can see kind of where they're at. And then you can put Slavkovsky with one of them, move them, move Slavkovsky around to find the perfect fit. And I think in this particular game, you know, you're starting to see the, the playmaking side of Slavkovsky, right? Because he knows he's got shooters on his line. So he's looking for them rather than just trying to get the puck and drop his head and go to the boards of the corner or whatever. And so you're really starting to see him kind of like adapt to his surroundings, which is like not necessarily like the power play thing. I know I mentioned earlier that his game is very compartmentalized, but in terms of like how he's playing and his decision making, what he's trying to do has improved a lot in in the context of like, you know, you give him more to work with, he's going to try to make more plays. So I wonder if the play here is just simply to keep him in the top six, no matter how bad it gets. Like you just keep him in the top six force it to work give him all the minutes that you can try to get him on the first power play unit. I don't think anyone wants to see Anderson try to handle the puck on the power play after Suzuki gets run out of space or have to make a play from the goal line to the point. You know, I, I think the team can, the team can move on from that. Now the team can decide, you know, this is not working. Let's get rid of this and maybe try Slavkovsky on the goal line where I know Monahan is there, but at least give him a look there where he can take the puck off the board, spin it to the inside, you know, do some between the leg shots, you know, do some cool stuff that we've seen him do before. Put Monahan in the bumper spot because, you know, he's going to be good there. Sean Monahan, he's going to be good no matter where you put him. True. So just trying to be more creative with him. And I think this is a this is a good start when it comes to usage. Breaking up Cole, breaking up Nick and Cole, it's a good idea, at least temporarily. See where everyone's at. And just, you know, just experiment with Slavkovsky a little bit more. I'm done with the whole just putting him with guys who aren't going to contribute to Slavkovsky's game. Yeah. And hopefully the coaching staff is too. I, I feel like something was figured out when he moved him off that line. I know they were just, I think they were just trying to let that line see if they could play their way out of the struggles and waiting for Dvorak to come back to give them a little bit more versatility down the middle. Uh, not having to play new hook in the middle, obviously, is a big deal. But it, it clearly didn't work, and they do have to stop doing that. Hopefully, where he is now, he gets to stay for a little bit. These lines have actually been pretty good. I know the Suzuki line was outplayed, but I think they were matched pretty heavily against the Marshawn line, unless I'm mistaken. And 
I thought Suzuki had a really strong game in the details. His his line mates both have limitations. Uh, there was some talk on Anderson in the comments here, but I thought Anderson played a good game for Josh Anderson. There were several plays where, you know, you, you can see him not paying attention to where his line mates are and he just makes the wrong play. But at the same time, he made the most Josh Anderson play constantly and did it more successfully tonight than he has for most of the season. So there you go. It's the little things with Josh Anderson. Not that his game has little things, but you take the little victories when you can get them from him. Um, and on the topic of Nick, like I thought Suzuki was reaching a lot early, wasn't yeah. really getting pucks. He was always second. And then he might've been on the ice for like five or six shots at five on five, the entire game, but he probably set up every single one of them. Like he, especially in that second and third period, he, he set up some grade a chances that they just couldn't convert. And of course I know yeah. we're bashing Anderson because it's Josh Anderson and he has his limitations, but he's also earned more than a few goals this season. He has. He definitely has. I think he's over four expected goals now. I mean, I would assume because tonight uh, I thought Suzuki put two different goals on his, on his stick, but he just couldn't finish. And then I, didn't he lead the rush in overtime to win it? The Ghoulie batted in. So that was a pretty good play. So there, there's good and bad with Josh Anderson as per usual, but uh, overall I thought he played a better game than he has uh in a long while so that's good for josh anderson he's gonna score eventually right he's not he's not completely cursed um trying to think uh oh right that's what i wanted to talk about the whole suzuki caulfield thing this we'll do this and then we'll take questions at the end uh sorry just got a little bit disorganized in my brain there i apologize but we'll talk about this and then we'll take questions at the end for our little presser there from uh, the live audience what i've been coming around to with Suzuki and Caulfield. And I don't think it's a bad thing that they're split up for right now. I think that it's not the long-term plan anyway. They're just trying different things. But there's so much talk in Montreal about how they need a star forward. And they clearly do. But a lot of that talk is generated by guys like Suzuki and Caulfield over the last couple of years being very one-dimensional in terms of their impact. Uh... Before he was paired with Caulfield, Suzuki was very one-dimensional at even strength in terms of he was very good defensively, and the offense just didn't happen much while he was on the ice, despite good moments from him. Uh, just didn't seem to find a way to generate that offense. Gets paired with Caulfield, and it almost flips immediately. They're very good at producing offense, scoring above expected and all that, but the defense is just terrible. Now this year, they've both... Not really produced a ton at even strength yet, but the underlyings are there. They're getting chances. It's just Caulfield's been a little bit cold at even strength so far this year. But the defense has markedly improved. Like, really, really improved But with the two of them on the ice. Now, they still need a star forward, but I think the Canadians, if Caulfield and Suzuki, and I think Caulfield is the one that I circle the most on this because his defensive play this year, like, especially in this game, there's several big defensive plays from Caulfield if he becomes more than just a one-way scorer if he becomes doesn't have to be great but just an even player defensively I don't think the Canadians are as desperate at forward as people believed at the start of the season I still think they need a game breaker like I, I think th those two guys are young they both have obviously point per game potential Caulfield could easily score 50 goals in his career in a single season, not over his career. <laughs> and I think really, though, if you want to have a, a top end team, if you want to win the Stanley Cup, you need to have another superstar game breaking talent in there. And, uh, you know, I think there will always be limitations to both of those guys. I think mm -hmm. Caulfield is showing some signs of life defensively, as you mentioned. I also think that when he's not with Suzuki, he shows more transition skill, more play driving skill. Yes. Like being able to fake guys out and gain the zone himself. Whereas when he's with Suzuki, he's just so dependent on getting the puck to Suzuki so he can get it back. Uh, whereas Suzuki just kind of plays his game no matter who he's with. He just keeps doing the same things, keep, just keeps doing the same things with other lesser line mates than Caulfield. He does make one change. It's not a big one, but he's less willing to just like throw the puck into an area 
he becomes even like more focused on like rimming pucks and along the boards, making a little short range plays. Um, and when he's with new hook and Anderson, he does not get the puck back after he does yeah. those things because both of those guys <laughs> just run into pressure and lose it. So it, yeah, the, the, I think no matter like, no matter how good those two guys are, they need another top end forward. I think the defensive yeah. situation is, is pretty good. Like, I think Reinbacher has more offense than people probably realize at this point. And we know he's going to be a great defensive player. Gooley looks like a top pairing guy already. Blaine Hudson is a little bit of a mystery in terms of how it will translate. But the mere fact that you have that potential grand slam loaded up is, I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. So yeah. I think going, you know, going into the draft, the big thing is going to be find a way to add a top end forward, i.e. Celebrini. <laughs> I mean, they'll they'll need some draft luck for that. I I think yeah. with the way they're playing this year, they're probably gonna end up in that like seven or eighth last seventh or eighth last spot around there, unless the goaltending completely falls apart, and it might. But I, I think because they compete so hard, it's gonna be tough as they've gotten a little bit better to uh, to fall down hard enough to get Celebrini. I still think the most likely scenario is that they try to find a big fish somewhere else. Uh, yeah. Whether it's like forcing their Vancouver's hand in the summer with like a threat of an offer sheet and then a trade where they have like a ton of prospects that they could throw Vancouver's way who are close to NHL ready to soften that burn a little bit or trying to go big game hunting for dry in two years when he's an unrestricted free agent. Cause I don't know Edmonton just doesn't seem like a happy place right now. <laughs> Yeah, the, the vibes are too good in Montreal to like, you know, lock up a first overall pick. Yeah. They're gonna need some luck. But yeah, it's certainly like they're gonna need to get creative, especially uh, you know, looking at it, I think realistically, Slavkovsky is not going to be a superstar player, and that's fine. There aren't gonna be many superstars from that draft class. Yeah, that's true. Uh but he's probably still tracking as a top six forward, maybe a top line forward. And so any way that you can insulate that with more talent and also remove the guys from the top six who um kind of crater the impact of the other top young guys would be better subtly hinting that they should trade josh anderson is mitch brown right now oh, well i mean they should have done that like a year and a half ago but <laughs> yes they should have i mean the rumors of what they were looking to get at like the slavkovsky draft i think they should have pulled the trigger back then but yeah, that's hockey. Sometimes you you miss some. Sometimes you overvalue a guy, and that appears to be the case uh, with Josh Anderson. All right, everyone, uh, if you have any questions for Mitch and I tonight, uh, prospect questions, if you want to ask Mitch, uh, go for it now. This is our uh, presser situation here. There's lots of comments from, who's this Mark Dumont guy? Who? Mark Dumont. He keeps commenting. I don't know what he's talking about. Love you, Mark. Uh, let's see here. I've seen a few comments about my mustache. Yeah. I don't know if I can keep it much longer to be honest with you. I don't <laughs> like it as we were like preparing for this game. I was like, I really wish that I didn't have this right now because I feel like I have a lot of somewhat intelligent things to say tonight <laughs> and it's going to be a big stream because they beat the Bruins and I want to like clip some stuff to post on like TikTok. and now I'm going to have to do it with this stupid mustache <laughs> on my face. So, you know, regrets. Uh, Philip Rosier says, "Thoughts on New Hook? You have any there, Mitch?" Uh, yeah. So New Hook skates fast, likes to shoot the puck, doesn't use his teammates all that effectively, isn't great at getting to the net because he doesn't use his teammates effectively. He's a very talented player. He's first on every puck that he could reasonably win. I think there's a lot of runway there, but for him, it's going to come down to a lot of coaching, a lot of development, and, you know, crazier things have happened. There's a real chance he can turn it around and still be, like, a legit play-driving second-line forward, but I think odds are you're going to see him settle down into more of a complementary mid-six role, and Doc is probably the guy more likely to be the driving force moving forward. Yeah, I, I think that's extremely fair. I, I like Newhook a lot. I think his floor is probably, like, uh, uh, Josh Anderson with less physicality like that kind of same kind of player. So if they can get him at a younger age to develop at the same rate that Anderson has over the last couple of years with his hard work, where he's definitely become a better player, even with his limitations, I think there's a good chance of new hook being a pretty decent piece. Uh, David CSC says uh, thoughts on Armia being left out tonight. 
I know that that fourth line has been good the last couple of games, but I think they've been good kind of in spite of Armia. He always makes a, a few decent plays, but I think he would have really struggled with the pace of tonight's game. That's my thought. I think it was the right decision. Yeah, I have nothing more to add other than that he's the most frustrating but most skilled fourth liner in the NHL. Yeah. Like, the things that he can do, it's incredible. Uh, it's just that it's insulated by a bunch of nothing. Yeah, yeah, it, it is very frustrating. Uh, Jean Simard says, uh, thoughts on Bogdan Konyushkov's play in the KHL. Have you got a chance to see any of him, Mitch? Yes, I have watched him actually just a couple of weeks ago. So I don't buy that he's a legit NHL option anytime soon, okay. but certainly he's been a nice surprise coming out of last year. He posted some decent numbers. He's in a system that like promotes a lot of creativity and, you know, spamming passes to the inside. And so I think sometimes he can look a little rougher than he actually is. But if you can get him to be a little bit more free offensively, being a little bit more creative, then he might be able to sneak into a role in a couple of years. That's pretty good money for uh, the, the pick they used to take him. So I'm sure they'd be happy. Did you see him warming up to like the Russian pop song? I did not. This around. sounds incredible. It was pretty fun. It was like just singing along, going crazy and doing his stretches. It was pretty fun. Uh, let's see here. Other questions. Uh, Jay says, which goalie gets traded and when? Uh, I doubt Montembeau. Yeah, the, they said on the broadcast tonight that the Canadians are looking to extend Montembo, okay. and uh, I mean, people were like freaking out about it, and I was like, "You, this contract's going to be like two to three years, two point five to three point five million dollars, because he's not a full time starter." When Jake Allen signed his contract, he was a veteran guy who'd proven that he could be a one A, and he didn't get a lot of money. I don't think Montembo's got a huge amount of like pull to get more than like 3.5 over a couple of years. What do you think? Yeah, that's probably about like, he might even come in a little bit lower than that. He's fun. He's good for what Montreal wants. He's improved a lot here. They probably, if they have to move on from a guy, it might be Allen. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Primo though, you know, give him a real chance somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. He deserves it. Especially after how strong he's played in both uh, games that he's played this year, despite sitting for so long, he's, He's been really good, and I know it hasn't been easy for him. Uh, Mark says, UL Army is the guy you design when you want to take parts from every good NHL player and make one combined player. Except for, it's like, do you remember that old game, Quop, where you would try to, like, make the guy run, but, like, every joint on his body was a different key, and it's just, he'd fall over all the time. That's UL Armia with all the best parts of all the best players. <laughs> just not quite attached, right? Oh, I'm sorry, Armia. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> uh, Samuel Haig says, uh, how does Cole Iserman look so far this season? Could he be a fit with the Canadians? Yeah, so Cole Iserman is probably the funniest player that I've seen in quite some time. You know, he, he just having a bad game. You don't notice him at all. And then you look at the score sheet, he had four goals, and they were all just insane long-range snipes. And <laughs> That it, translates think, to the NHL, right? It's... <laughs> Oh, his shot though is just it's it's just different. Like the puck leaves a stick at a different velocity than the vast majority of players. I think when you compare him to other national team development program scorers like Wallstrom or Kiefer Bellows, the big difference between him and them is that the shot is better and he's a lot he's much more of a dynamic shooter, like off the catch from tricky positions, from the inside, around the net. And while he's not uh, much of a, a a passer or a guy who uses his teammates at all, he's very much a uh, since I said it earlier, he's very much a torpedo in transition. The flashes of playmaking that he has are like elite. So you're really banking on his game, striking that right balance throughout the rest of the season. And ideally at BU where he'll be in an environment that is a little bit, a little bit more restrictive, but not significantly. So, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's a fit for any team just because goals are goals and you know, that's how you win games. And on top of that, you add in the fact that he has like some physicality, some puck moving skill and some real exciting playmaking flashes. I think he's a pretty moldable player at this stage. Yeah, that's I mean, those kinds of players, GMs love that, right? Like the guys who can do that straight line, bash in a goal. And if he's got some playmaking capabilities alongside that, 
he becomes a really interesting player. We've got like four or five people asking for your opinion on uh, Atos Koivu. I I can't say that I have ever watched him. I assume that's Saku no. Koivu's son. I am the it director is Saku of North Koivu's American son. Scouting. I'm the director I... of North American Scouting, not European. <laughs> you hear that? He doesn't care about the Europeans. Mitch yeah, Brown. The, the, ver, verbatim. Yeah, okay. <laughs> verbatim, that's what he said. You can quote me quoting him on that. Uh, no, I, I think uh, he's kind of in the news because earlier this week he had a shootout goal and he did Saku's move where he does like the fake to the forehand and, and goes around. It was like a carbon copy of the one against the Rangers back in 2008, I think, or 2009. 2008, where Koivu finished it off in the shootout. So Mitch doesn't know enough about Koivu, guys. Sorry. He can't answer that one. And I don't know anything about prospects. So I can't help you there either. <laughs> Elliot Freeman reported tonight that Montreal are trying to sign Montebo. We already, we already talked about that, David. Uh, we I think it's going to be two to three years, 2.5 to 3.5 annual average. I don't think there's going to be much more than that. Um, let's see what else we got here for questions. And then we'll probably close it out. Let's see. Uh, it's a bit early and teams haven't been announced from Bacowind. Uh, but are there any Habs prospects you're looking forward to seeing at the World Juniors? Um, yeah. I mean, is there, can I say something? Like, it has to be Lane Hudson, right? I mean, like, that would be the obvious one, I like, would assume. <laughs> there's a real chance, like, he leads the tournament in scoring this year. Yeah. I think on top of that, too, it's just going to be nice to see him in, like, kind of a different environment than BU, just kind of see how it all works probably get a little bit of a preview as to how he looks in the nhl either at the end of this season or in a year from now if he doesn't sign and decides to go back with his brother and eiserman uh mashar will be an interesting one too just because like um going back to kitchener was the right move i think what you really want to see from him is being more of a guy who creates space rather than being the guy who takes space so a right. guy who you know fakes one way goes the other way creates a little opportunity for himself and he was very good at the World Juniors last year, despite the narrative. That was probably the highlight of his season. He was a much more aggressive, much more confident, much more willing to take the inside. And so he's off to a good start. He looks pretty good so far, but hopefully he's able to build a little bit more momentum, become a little bit more of a, you know, an inside driven, more projectable player. And then at the World Juniors, it all comes together. Yeah, I think Meshar is the one that I'm most looking forward to. Uh, I I think Lauren Kelly was saying that uh, the Slovak team looks like it could actually do a little bit of damage this year. And he was so good on the, the team last year, especially the game against Canada. He was just thrilling. So I want to see, I, I don't get to see him enough because I don't get a chance to watch much junior hockey. So I'm excited to see Philip Meshar. Uh, there's a question here asking if Owen Beck is a lock for the team Canada or not. It seems like it's not decided. Like he's not seeming like a lock at this point. Uh, so he should make it. I think we can break Beck's season down into two basic things. The first thing is that he's probably trying to play more of an NHL style. The second thing is the plays that he relies on to score in junior and will rely on in the NHL aren't there with the team that he plays at presently. They're a right. very much a focused, short support team. They don't really do a ton of cross-lot passes. When you see those Beck highlights, you know, when he had like that hat trick or when he has a nice assist, know that those are the only real high danger chances that his team had the entire game because they don't really space the offenses and they don't really get open. He's going to be one of those guys who in a weird way, he's going to be better suited for the Canadians than his current OHL team, just because the system will be much more favorable to what he does. Uh, but also I, I did see that Peterborough traded away one of their overage players. So maybe there's a chance that Beck gets moved again. And hopefully we see him in, a, in an environment that is a little bit more suited to a player of his skill level. Yeah, you know, we, we talked about uh, the notion of fit with Slavkovsky a lot. We've talked about it a lot on this show, even before tonight. It matters for teams too, right? Like, especially yeah. in junior where, you know, players aren't fully developed. Sometimes they just need to fit in their niche. And from that niche, they get the confidence to develop in other areas. So hopefully Beck gets put in a better situation. But I would assume just based on face-offs and the fact that he's so good defensively, he's at least got like that fourth line center kind of thing or 13th forward on lock where they can just throw him on at any time in any defensive situation and get I think so. a decent chance at a face-off win. So 
I think right. on uh, top of that, he was pretty good in his like five minutes of World Junior time last year. So you know, hopefully yeah, that's he gets true. like. <laughs> Yeah, and Mark brings up uh, Adam Angstrom. I'm also looking forward to seeing Adam Angstrom yeah. because, or no, he's not eligible this year, is he? He he is a late birthday, I think, so he's not eligible, or maybe he is. I can't remember. My brain. I think is just... I looked it up, and his birthday is like right before the tournament. Okay, so if he's a two thousand, if he's if he's a two thousand and three, yeah, he a, turns it... twenty in November, November twenty. Yeah, so he's not eligible. He's 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 not eligible at the tournament. But, Sorry, folks. And that, that does no remind me that Reinbacher and Rohr will both are both eligible. And right. Austria has a little bit of talent, but more importantly, those two guys are gonna have to be the real drivers. Austria had some really nice play in the relegation round. Um, Reinbacher's best game of the tournament was in the relegation round. He was a real he was a real standout. And so I and on top of that, he had a good game against Canada as well. So I really think that. You know, they might be able to win a game or at least keep it competitive enough that you're going to see those two guys shine. Yeah, the chat is saying Austria didn't make the tournament. Did they get... I didn't think they got... They didn't get relegated, did they? I don't know. I thought Maybe. I thought Latvia got relegated. I don't know. But Man, I even that... watch these games too. You just can tell that I, I watch too many games in a year. God. <laughs> yeah, I know how you feel. Yeah, if if they didn't uh, make it back in, that kind of sucks. It would have been nice to see Reinbacher. He is back from his injury now. Uh, David C is asking if he's back from his injury. I know he's played at least one game, and it was a rough go for him, but that first game back from injury, right? He did lose. They lost in the last game. There you go. So they, they're they're out. That is sadness. And Norway is in. Norway. I mean, I, there's some fun players from Norway, I'm sure. There is, actually. There is. But we'll talk about that in the future, I'm sure. Of course. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I could pick Mitch's brain for an hour longer, but, you know, sleep and children wake up at 7 or earlier. So thanks for joining us tonight. Make sure that you like the stream. Make sure that you subscribe to SDPN. Uh, really enjoy you, you all spending your Saturday with us. Thanks to Mitch for spending his Saturday night with us as well. It's uh, great that we get to do this after every game. It's always fun and especially fun when you beat the Boston Bruins and snap a 10 game losing streak against them. That was uh, the be one of the best hockey games I've seen in a long time from the Montreal Canadiens. So lots of positivity closing out of this one. Uh, before we leave, Mitch, tell everyone where they can find your work. You can follow me at Mitch L. Brown on Twitter.com and then also head to our YouTube channel. Uh, lead prospects david st louis just dropped a video yes. comparing your Slavkovsky's games uh with bad line mates and with good line mates and the results might shock you <laughs> yeah it's a fantastic video so definitely check that out from david david is fantastic mitch is fantastic elite prospects we're just big fans over here so uh thanks everyone and we will see you tomorrow night because we're back at it. Mark is not on tomorrow night. He's on Tuesday. I made the mistake in the chat. It'll be me tomorrow. Sorry. <laughs> See y'all later.